Welcome to Breakups, Broken Hearts, and Moving On with Janice Formicella. I'm Janice Formicella, a breakup coach passionate about supporting others to learn from their breakups, overcome loneliness, love being single, and see the end of a relationship as the beginning of a magical, sexy new chapter in life. I am here each week to share with you the tools that I have learned through my own painful breakups, through hitting rock bottom more than once, and through working with people all around the world to heal their broken hearts. If you are looking for hope and strength to move on from your breakup and resources to enjoy your new life, you are in the right place and I've got your back. Wow, everybody, welcome back to Breakups, Broken Hearts, and Moving On. It's somehow been a couple of weeks since I've recorded anything, so this feels really great to be getting back into the swing of it. Sometimes you got to take a little break. And so, yeah, last week I actually didn't do an episode, and so I'm really excited to have you here. Christina, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. I'm so excited about today's topic. <laughs> yeah, me too. I have wanted to do more kind of sexy uh, topics this year. And so I'm having fun kind of leaning into that a little bit. Can you, before we start, let everyone know what you do and where they can find you. And then we will jump into BDSM, baby. Yes. My name is Christina Morelli, obviously. And you can find me at ChristinaMorelliCoaching.com or on Facebook at Christina Morelli Coaching. I am a relationship communications coach. So I help couples who are having communication issues and mainly feel like their relationship is full of conflict and don't know how to turn that conflict into a point of connection. So that's where I'm here is to provide the framework for what it means to have productive communication with each other. Love it. I'm a big communicator and it really is the key to all successful relationships. So it's a really important work that you're doing. Thank Thank you. you. Let's start with why we are doing this episode and I'll just go to you. You have suggested this topic. So let us know, yeah, why you wanted to explore this on my podcast. Yeah. A lot of the work that I do is based in psychology and neuroscience and the, like the learning side of relationships, not so much the emotional side of relationships. And I have experience in the BDSM world for quite a while. So I wanted to talk about the psychology of BDSM. Why are people into it? What does it do for people? What to expect? Um, especially when it comes to somebody who may be new into that scene or interested in that scene, because there's a lot of things that are happening in our body and we don't understand why it's happening, right? So there's something called um, sub-frenzy or even dom-frenzy, which is essentially once you start learning about BDSM, you start becoming really excited about it and (laughs) frenzied about it. And you want to jump in and make explore and experience all of these different things. But that actually can be really dangerous because people make bad decisions whenever they're infatuated with a new idea or a new person. So I wanted to talk about the psychology and neuroscience behind BDSM and what may be drivers for people to even enter into that world. 
Hell yes, I am so here for it. I've got a bit of experience myself and it's definitely something that I desire. And this yes. is going to be fantastic. Thank you for suggesting it. Before we dive too far into it, maybe we can talk about the definition. You gave me some wonderful, wonderful research that I just had so much fun <laughs> diving into as I was preparing this. I am yeah. more excited about BDSM than I've been in a while. So mm. universe, call it in for me. Something that fascinated me was one of the articles I read from Psychology Today that said, this is hilarious. Somewhere between two and 62% of people practice BDSM. And the article said, a pollster who published numbers like this should be looking for a new job. But when you're asking people about their sex habits, the wording of the question makes all the difference. So it does. What are we talking about here? I pulled a couple definitions. And of yeah. course, we will talk about what it means to us. First of all, WebMD, so many reputable Interesting. Web websites had a lot of information about BDSM. I enjoyed mm -hmm. that. WebMD says BDSM is a term used to describe sex that involves dominance, submission, and control. The practice typically involves one partner taking on more of a dominant role during sex while the other is more submissive. Mm -hmm. Love it. And then Merriam-Webster, sexual activity involving such practices as the use of physical restraints, the granting and relinquishing of control, and the infliction of pain. What do you think about those definitions, Christina, and what do you consider to be BDSM? Yeah, those are general broad strokes for sure. It definitely <laughs> encapsulates all of the nuanced like subcategories of BDSM. But just to explain what the initials stand for, it's bondage, dominance, submission, sadomasochism. They also start including slave master okay. in that as well. So mm -hmm. they all start with one of those letters. It is all boiling down to a power exchange to some degree. And in regards to the power exchange, it's not one person holds one role unless that has been negotiated. There are a lot of people in this realm who like to switch between the power role and the submission role, depending on where they are mentally and physically and what they're needing in that moment. But yeah, it it is really about the power and the control between dynamic between two people or three people, however many you choose and relinquishing that control. And that can include pain that can include service that can include a whole array of things. The yeah, other thing to keep in mind that. is that BDSM is not sex specific. Mm -hmm. So to clarify, it isn't BDSM doesn't just show up in the sex realm you can have a power dynamic existing outside of the bedroom where your partner makes the financial decisions because you've relinquished that control or you both have your roles of what you handle around the house. And that was decided because you gave up that power or control or, you know, they get to deem what each of you do, depending on what you have pre-negotiated before entering into what I would call a dynamic. Ooh. And yes, I would also consider it to be the relinquishing of control. I'm a 
I guess, fairly classic submissive. And that's definitely what gets me excited. And along those lines, let's talk about what drew us to this activity slash practice. (laughs) I have kind of a crazy story about how I got started, but I'll let's start with your crazy story. Okay. So I, like I said, I do have a bit of experience with this and my foray into it was, I think, and I do want to make sure to say this. I do think that my experience was not typical and also not ideal to be perfectly honest and forthright about someone who's new to this. And that was someone met me at an event where I was and had a thing for me had a real thing for me and kind of sought me out on Facebook. He went to the Facebook page for the event, located me and hit me up asking if I wanted to just go out. And then after a couple of dates asked me if I would be interested in exploring this with him. Mm. So I will say it's probably something I wouldn't do in the future because I didn't really know him. We did grow to have quite a bit of trust between us, I will say, but I definitely would prefer to do it with someone I have an existing relationship with, which I would absolutely encourage everybody to do. That's the more appropriate way to go about it. That being said, I was drawn to it out of curiosity. I -hmm. felt very strongly that it was a yes for me when he kind of told me what it would entail. And that was really why I got into it was just wanting to see what it was like. He had quite a bit of experience and it was a very, very fascinating relationship and fascinating few months of my life. We got together ahead of time, discussed the parameters, which Mm -hmm. I definitely appreciated for sure. I would say once we agreed to do this exploration, I would say he did things correctly. Mm -hmm. And that took a little while. I think we actually even had it on paper, which was kind of cool. And definitely a lot of things that I had never even heard of before. And then, you know, we would meet a couple times a week to have the scenes. He was into Shibari, which I still have a desire for. And I am actively calling it in. I am definitely asking the universe to help me find a Shibari partner. Just FYI, for those of you listening and don't know what Shibari is, it's oh. essentially rope bondage. Oh, and it's beautiful. It is it's really beautiful. beautiful art. And anybody yeah. who knows how to do it just fascinates me. And it takes a lot of attention to detail. Mm-hmm. And he was very passionate about Shibari. And it was just really, really beautiful to experience that. The relationship ended for a variety of reasons including my lack of experience with open relationships. Mm -hmm. But I really, really valued the time that I had with him. And then after coming out of the relationship and deciding that we were going to stop, I've had lots of experiences with my, with my romantic partners. I absolutely love being submissive. And now I do it and I'm still drawn to it because I was just talking about this last night actually with someone and I guess I'm a bit of a control freak in my day to day. And also I'm trying to run a business. I live alone and I'm just, I'm in charge of just everything in my life. So completely I'm a community organizer who does a lot of that solo. And so the opportunity to completely release Mm -hmm. in my relationships and in the bedroom is 
it's liberating. Yes. It's very, very relaxing. I love Uh that I get to do that. I really, really, really appreciate when I have a partner who can take over and just let me surrender. And so that's why I crave it today. And I also say in my romantic relationships with men, I, I, that's another reason I do kind of like them to take charge in different areas because I I just really want to release and let someone (laughs) do things and and kind of take the lead and, you know, reach out a hand for me because I don't feel like I have that other times in my life. Yeah, absolutely. What a cool story. Thank you for sharing that. It was really intense, I have to say. It is um, very intense the it first was, time. Yes. And the scenes that he planned were were wild and absolutely beautiful too. Yeah. Can you just describe what a scene is for people who are listening who don't have experience <laughs> with BDSM? I mean, yes. I can jump in if you want. I definitely will. I keep on forgetting that. Yes, I really, really hope that there are some people listening who would be completely new to this. So a scene is an agreed upon, often time frame, and agreed upon activities that will take place when you see each other. And so yeah. it could be experimenting with impact, which is paddling. It could be experimenting with different types of power play and the thing, like I said, that you agree upon. And Mm -hmm. for me, it did often involve, like I said, a certain set amount of time as well. Yeah. Scheduled, planned out, pre-negotiated, never negotiate the scene in a scene. Mm -hmm. That is like a number one rule. So whatever you negotiate before a scene needs to stay. Mm -hmm. And the reason that is, is because we, our mind gets altered during these states, it becomes very elated and high. And we get oftentimes people enter into a meditative state where they are just kind of like in another world, which is really exciting. And it feels so good. And all these endorphins are running through your body. Oftentimes people will will say like, I want more because you have all these endorphins pumping through your body when really like you may not be able to handle more. You just think you can because you have all these yummy brain chemicals pumping through you. So it's very important that if you are entering into a scene that one, you know, not to negotiate during a scene. So if you're dominant or also referred to as a top for different reasons, if they try to negotiate during a scene, that's a big red flag. It's also really important that you have someone who's in control of the scene and make sure that you aren't trying to renegotiate a scene in the middle of a scene. Like it's really important that you have somebody who's grounded in this idea that this is what we agreed upon before the scene and we're not going to change it. If you want to change it, we will talk about it after the scene and plan another scene with these additions that you would like to add in. Yep. But yeah, a scene is what you said, a time frame that is scheduled pre-negotiated and it could look like anything. Like you said, it could look like impact play. It could look like role-playing. Like maybe somebody is the servant for the night. You can get really creative and fun during those times. Agreed. What drew you to BDSM? (laughs) Mm. I have a very, like such a white girl uh, <laughs> story of like, oh, I felt like I was missing. So, so I was in a long-term relationship and during that relationship, I was feeling really unfulfilled in a lot of areas. And that included 
feeling like I had to handle everything and like I had to tell my partner what to do. And I didn't feel like I could ever relax and I didn't want to handle all aspects of our relationship. He wouldn't do things unless he essentially like I okayed it. And I was like, this is, this is not what I want. And during that time, I (laughs) I also was introduced to 50 Shades of Grey. So that's whatever I was actually able to identify like, oh, this is a thing. Like the idea of like not wanting to be in control, there's a name for it and it falls under the BDSM power exchange. And then I became fascinated with it. I dropped it for a while because I was in a partnership with somebody who probably definitely would have won, wouldn't have been able to handle that type of dynamic responsibly, in my opinion. Two, I probably would have had to coach him through the whole thing, <laughs> given our dynamic already Kind of existing. defeating the purpose there. Totally defeating the purpose. <laughs> and I just don't think he would have been into it either way. And that's an assumption on my part, just to clarify. I never talked to him about it. But then after we broke up, I was like still, it was something that was like continuously resurfacing for me. So then I started doing research on it. And I met someone through, I don't even know how this happened. I don't remember how we met, but we communicated on Snapchat. Never met the guy in person. He had experience in BDSM, so we talked about it and. I really enjoyed the conversations we had. We never ended up meeting or playing or anything like that. But the fact that he was having conversations about it with me gave me a lot more information. So then I started doing more and more research. And then I started dating somebody new and we were talking about what we want in sex. And it was the first time ever that I felt really supported in having these taboo desires that are so looked down upon from most of society for many reasons. Like, We are in an age where women have a lot of power and have self-sustainability and independence. And the fact that a woman would choose to then submit to a man and surrender to a man is like so counter- But a lot of women want to. I mean, really. So many women want to. Yes. I mean, the success of Fifty Shades of Grey in and of itself shows us that this is something that women fantasize about. Exactly right. But perhaps don't talk about. And even I I talk about the fact that I like a man to take the lead in my relationships kind of a lot. But on the show because I kind of want to normalize the fact that that's a very valid desire. Yeah. I think the difference between like women who are oppressed and have been oppressed for so, so long versus like people choosing is the right to choose. Like this is a consensual choice that I have that I want to be in a dynamic with somebody that I want to be able to trust enough to surrender to, to be able to trust enough to make the best decision for himself and myself. Mm. And so there's a lot of power in actually surrendering and submitting. Like if I were to ask somebody, like let go of all of your control and hand it over to somebody, they would probably freak out and be like, no, that's so uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because there's a maybe a lack of trust in yourself or the other person. And the fact that you can be in a relationship with somebody where you trust them enough that you feel safe enough to be like, I wholly trust you to make all of the right decisions. Obviously you can ask for my input, but ultimately I know that no matter what, you're going to keep me safe as much as possible within your control. That is such a fucking gift 
That is such a gift. Agreed. I'm sitting give. here feeling like even a little flush because yeah. I know what it feels like. And it is something I. Yeah. It just I makes you melt. And, yeah. yeah. After talking to my one partner about it, we played with it just like a little bit. He had no experience with it. He read some articles, but he wasn't into it. So that relationship ended not because of the lack of media set, for many <laughs> other reasons. So that ended. <laughs> but I'm just fast forwarding the story. I know. <laughs> after after that relationship, I was like, I want to meet somebody who's in a BDSM. Like that is my goal. I want a partnership who understands power exchange, who wants power exchange. And I started going to the local BDSM club in Tampa. And my goal because I was very cautious. I did not want to be taken advantage of. I did. I wasn't sure what it was like in this community. I made a lot of assumptions that there was a lot of predatorial activity that I couldn't trust because, you know, there, it, that just goes back to my ability to release control. So I actually started going to a lot of dominant classes because I was like, if I'm going to be a submissive, I need to know what makes a good dominant. So I started going to all of like, the top slash dominant classes of like what it means to be a good dominant, how to throw a whip, how to um, amazing aftercare. So I was like full in on what makes a good dominant. So that way I knew what the parameters were of like, this is what to expect where I know I can feel safe and that these are right. And that was more or less guidelines. I was able to refine it to myself more specifically So I started doing those classes and then I met somebody at the club and we dated for two years and we were actually engaged and two and a half years. So we tried a power exchange dynamic and we had lots of impact scenes and lots of role play scenes. And it was. And we're going to go over what some of these are, like what the actual activities are. So we'll explain. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, we will. And it was an incredible experience. He was a wonderful person. He always did the right thing for the most part, um, outside of like very scarce moments of like ego driven dominance, which we refer to as domineering. Um, so there was very few moments of that, but outside of the power exchange, I just didn't trust him. I didn't trust him to, and unfortunately, looking back, I also just didn't respect him. So it's really hard <laughs> to <laughs> totally surrender to somebody you don't trust and you don't respect for many reasons, not based off of BDSM. He was flawless when it came to his BDSM practices and doing the right thing. It was more just outside of that. And that um, I relate to that with the guy in Melbourne that I was involved with. For, for sure outside of our scenes I started having a lot of a lot of questions about yeah. just him as a person him as a person yeah, yeah, yeah I did. exactly and still to this day would you like to tell us a little bit about your current BDSM practice sure happy to so my current partner and I have I would say a power exchange dynamic, but like as vanilla as it gets <laughs> in the sense of still playing on the realm of power exchange, but also like not nearly to the extent or intensity that I was in before. What I will also say that I think is really important for my discovery during BDSM experiences with my previous partner 
was that I wasn't necessarily seeking the power exchange itself. What I was really, what I discovered is that I was really looking for the polar, the polarity of masculine energy and feminine energy being really present in my relationship. So when we think about that, it's like the masculine energy is directive and makes the decisions and is assertive. And the feminine energy is nurturing and compassionate and surrenders and receives in those ways. So if we were to talk about like polarity of different energy types, that is actually what I was really seeking. It's just BDSM gave me like a tangible community slash like structure of how to feel that and achieve that in my relationship. Um, And I'm really into polarity theory as well. I think it's misunderstood and perhaps we can do a future episode on that. I've been wanting to explore this with, with someone on, on the podcast. So Uh, let's talk about what these activities actually are. It's more than just handcuffs people. It is more than just handcuffs. (laughs) That is however, one of the practices and that is restraints. So Mm -hmm. again, that could be tying that can be shibari it can be handcuffs for sure it can be ankle cuffs which Mm -hmm. that is a yes for me (laughs) (laughs) so we have restraints so when it comes to restraints that could look like a lot of different things that could look like rope that could look like you said handcuffs or chains that could look like there's something called mummification in the BDSM community where they essentially wrap somebody up in saran wrap and cellophane and they can't move. So they're just like, so it's right. So it's like depriving of being able to move. It's almost like sensory deprivation in a way it's like, and also you're forced to just surrender when you are restrained. Right. So I I didn't realize that it was saran wrap. I thought it was a Shabari thing. Wow. God, my mind is kind of blown right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of different things that people can do for restraining. You can restrain somebody's speech by gagging them. You can restrain senses by blindfolding them, putting noise cancellation headphones, which also plays into the realm of sensation play because once you remove one ability, one sense, your other sense is heightened, right? But Mm -hmm. it's still a form of restraint. Yes. The blindfolds is a red for me. I don't get into that at all. But Mm. yeah, thank you so much for clarifying. I really want people to know what different things they can play with. Yeah. The next area is, of course, inflicting pain. This is Mm -hmm. something that I'm very much a mostly yes to, especially Mm -hmm. paddles. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people can definitely relate to that. There's spanking, there's whips, there's biting. Mm -hmm. And I say, if it leaves a bruise, that makes Janice happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So interesting enough, the whole bruise comment that you made, the psychology behind that is like being able to see a physical representation of your scene and like just reminisce about it and fantasize about it. And like, I know people who would have their partners like poke that bruise just to like re-inflict that pain and Mm -hmm. like re-trigger that experience for them, which hopefully was a positive experience. So when it comes to impact play, impact play can look like many things. It can look like spanking, paddling, um, caning, flogging is really popular. Whips are really popular, but it also could look like pinching, scratching, 
Um, a lot of people at the BDSM club used clothespins to pinch like the bottom of their arm, the inside of their thigh, whipping with like people come up with some creative shit. The things that people <laughs> put together by just going to Home Depot oh, is really interesting. So I went one time and got a bunch of chain and then interlinked the chain. And then that was an impact toy. So people are really creative with what they do. There's bamboo sticks. The whole point of it is to create a sensation. And the the pain categories are stingy and thuddy, right? So there's stingy pain and thuddy pain. So when I think about stingy pain, it is the spanking. It is the paddling. It stings. But then you have thuddy, which could be pummeling. So pummeling is like essentially like punching somebody's butt, which to <laughs> me feels like a massage, right? Yeah. But <laughs> Those are, these are different aspects of the two categories of pain. If you were to enter into a BDSM community and exp- explore impact, they'll say, do you like stingy or do you like thuddy? And most people start off with thuddy. And then as they are progressing into their tolerance, they tend to lean more towards stingy because they are seeking that intensity. And what happens whenever you enter into an impact play scene, there's a lot of things that could happen depending on what you want to achieve. Some people want to achieve like just the intensity of pain because they're feeling really overwhelmed emotionally, for example, and just want something to distract themselves. It's almost like, I'll never forget. I asked my therapist this. I was like, what's the difference of someone inflicting pain upon themselves, AKA self-harm and just asking somebody else to inflict pain on them for the same reason. So I don't have to feel these feelings anymore because they're so intense. And she has said something along the lines of like, I mean, if you feel like there's no harm or like you can have restraint, but the whole idea is that somebody else is going to be able to have restraint on your body. So you're not going too far with yourself, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um it's again the trust thing and the relinquishing control to someone else. Yes. Yes. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Another area of BDSM is inflicting humiliation. This yeah. is something people get off on. This d- would not be my thing. And mm-hmm. when I was actually entering into the agreement with the man in Australia, th- this was something that I that I said no to. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because humiliation is much more popular amongst male submissives than it is yeah. female submissives. Mm-hmm. So females, we encounter humiliation almost at every point of our day throughout our lives with not so much anymore, thankfully, um, at least in my experience now that I'm much more in my power and I can be like, shut the fuck up. Um, But when you're younger, there's a lot of humiliation that happens towards women. So they're not necessarily seeking humiliation all of the time. What I also find really interesting is that women seek oftentimes degradation. This was something that blew my mind kind of somewhat recently, and that is stimulation slash electric play. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. My goodness. Yeah, it was actually in the last year that I got to um, play with someone who wanted to Mm -hmm. show this to me. Do you want to explain this? I really wasn't even familiar with it until, yeah, like I said, somewhat recently. And it's really neat. It is really neat. So electric play falls under the category of sensation play. What are the sensations that you want to feel? Yeah. So it's essentially there's this like handle 
that has an electric current going through it. And then you have different tips for the top of that handle that create different sensations. Some of it is like glittery tinsel that like is falling out of it. And that creates just like little prickles along your skin. Some of it is more intense where it's like a glass thing and then it like zaps you. Yeah. Right. So it could like essentially electrocuting yourself, but at a subtle, at a softer level and you can turn up the intensity and down the intensity depending on what you want but it's more sensation play on what you want to experience from sensation perspective i personally did not enjoy electric play all that much i maybe a very soft level of just like tingles on my body because i love sensation play okay but when it came to electric play that wasn't necessarily my thing so let's talk about your experience or your interest I mean, I just got asked um, to have a scene with someone I I knew, and this was something that they suggested. Yeah. And really, I I wouldn't say I'd try anything once, but it just interested me, yeah. and I thought it felt great. It mm-hmm. was there was something about the unpredictability of it that <laughs> yeah. kind of put me on edge, and so it was very much yes, anticipatory. And mm-hmm. yeah, like I, I mean, heightened sensation, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say I liked how it felt and experiencing how it felt on different parts of my body yeah. was very exciting. And yeah. it would definitely be something that I would want to include again. Yeah. Um, something that my ex would do is he had a taser and he would just snap it next to my ear. Jesus. He wouldn't shock me. Okay. He wouldn't use no, it on me, but he was just like the sound of it alone would make me like, just on edge. And I was like, oh, what's happening? Uh-huh. Every time. It would be the only time I'd actually like get off the bench and be like, I'm done because I hated the sound of the taser. <laughs> okay. But he would do it to just like toy with me. And we knew gotcha. that was a part of the game. That was an agreed to part of the game of that or the scene. Um, so yeah, there's different ways you can use different things. You don't always have to use it as what you anticipate it mm. being used as. And not everything is painful. Anything that you would think is painful can actually be used to feel really, really good. And, oh, oh yeah. And also I would put tickling as part of stimulation. Oh. That is something that is really, really intense for for me. And also, yeah, definitely something that where you'd be giving up control to someone yeah. and then, yeah, not really predicting Absolutely, what's going yeah. to happen. <laughs> there is forced orgasm, which may be <sighs> a little surprising to some people. I don't know how much we want to get into that. We can it's... jump into that. Okay. I'm going you want to, to talk ex- about anything. Okay. <laughs> if I get uncomfortable, I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. Maybe you can... I guess, explain how this even falls into BDSM. I think that some people may think, yes, <laughs> I want to be forced to come. Why Why is this a BDSM practice? Being forced to come can be really painful and really uncomfortable and exceptionally intense. And it also reactivates those endorphins. So if you're having orgasm after orgasm after orgasm after orgasm <laughs> against your body's will, your brain is just like endorphin punch, endorphin punch, intensity, intensity. <laughs> And it is an experience to say the least. Oftentimes people who are playing with orgasm play, the person receiving the orgasms is usually restrained. So yeah. they can't fight or because your body will want you to stop because the, in, the feeling is so intense. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel good. I'm telling you now, like there is, there's a level of just like, holy shit, what the hell just happened. Yeah. But at the same time, this isn't like blissful orgasms, just like, 
undulating through your body over and over and over again. It's like, fuck, get off my clit. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> or um, G-spot orgasms too yeah. is something that I experimented with. And yeah, it's not exactly what, it's not what it sounds like. It's I mean, it's great, great in, a, in a way of if you're seeking intensity, but it's not like a pleasurable experience. And that's, again, the pat, like that's another part of the same thing as impact play, pain play. It, it all falls under that. Thank you so much for explaining. Another yeah. one is, and something people will surely be familiar with, wax play. That's mm-hmm. a semi-common one. Definitely, mm-hmm. but in my opinion, extremely pleasurable. Mm-hmm. Definitely something to be very safe with. Mm-hmm. You got to use certain candle waxes. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's very important. What type of candle waxes you use and the sensation of something warm pouring on your body and then like having it peeled off of your skin. Yeah. It's a, Go to a experience. sex shop if you if this is something that interests you, they will have the appropriate candles. So are there any other practices that you wanted to make sure to include and tell my listeners about? I think the other thing I do want to say about forms of practice is BDSM, again, is not always sex related or even sensation or stimulant related. It can be a form of like having rituals between you and your partner. So it could look like when my partner comes home, I'm standing there and I am holding his favorite drink for him. Like that is our ritual, but that is because that is an agreement. We like, so there's a lot of really beautiful things that can transpire in a power exchange. It's, it could be like when my partner comes home, I take off his shoes and then I kneel at his feet for a few minutes. And then we like, that's the way we greet each other. Or before I go to bed, like I know some master slave dynamics where before the slave would go to bed, she would read this like poem that she wrote to her master. And that was like her nightly ritual of like being dedicated to her partner, right? Her master. And so there's a lot of beautiful things. Yeah, That's actually where I thrived. Like the whole intensity, sexy, like pain, sensation aspect of things was really fun and exciting. But where my passion lies in the BDSM is just like the beauty of the dynamic between two people who are like, this person is trusting me enough to surrender themselves to me. This person is powerful enough and I trust them enough to give over this power. There's just something incredibly magical about that dynamic between two people Mm -hmm. that I think is really something to experience for sure. I would love to show, you know, the masculine, that type of adoration. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Let's get into the psychology behind all of this. Christina really wanted to really, really explore this. I am going to read some studies that really rocked my world. You jump in if you have anything to say. Okay. First of all, this Psychology Today article was fantastic. It says BDSM has been said to produce pleasurable altered states of consciousness, which may be one of the motivating factors for those who practice it. Mm-hmm. I can say that's definitely true. And it's and it is a state of a state of being and a state of mind that we don't necessarily get to experience without chemicals and substances. Mm-hmm. What do you want to say about this? Yeah. So the euphoric feeling that a lot of people refer to is something called subspace or even dom space, but dom space isn't discussed as much as subspace. So essentially subspace is, is different for a lot of people, what they experience 
I can speak to my experience. It was a very calming meditative state where like all my thoughts went away. I was totally relaxed, even though I was being whipped. I was just like, so in this like woozy, lightheaded kind of like it because of the endorphin high that was happening from the pain being inflicted. And it also creates a state of just complete admiration for the person who's inflicting the pain on you, Mm. which is also kind of like weird in a way. It's like this person's inflicting pain, but I just love you so much because they're giving you this really high feeling at the same time. So that's definitely one thing that people can experience is subspace, which is just a really euphoric state for the person who's receiving the pain. And it can also happen for a dominant who is just like really in their present space, um, inflicting whatever power that they have agreed to. And that can also be really euphoric for them. The key to understand what happens during impact scenes that create these euphoric states or even bondage scenes is that oftentimes when we are really high, there's also a big crash. So that is, that happens a lot for people who a couple, a day after, almost instantly after, sometimes three days after that they have a drop. It's called sub drop. And they could feel depressed or cry or, right, because there's a significant drop in those really high feelings of endorphins. And now you may feel a little bit depressed. It's almost kind of like think of MDMA when you take ecstasy and you're feeling really good, but then the next day you're kind of like down and sad. It's because of that like extreme elevation in brain chemicals. So it's really important that you have aftercare protocols in place. And we will really get into that. It is a crucial and I guess almost required aspect of, of BDSM. And it's also a topic which I am very interested in and and passionate about and Mm -hmm. try to practice Mm-hmm. in a lot of my sexual encounters. <laughs> For those of you who may still not understand why women may want this, I thought it might be interesting to point out that a lot of people who are into this are very healthy in all aspects of their life, including mentally. There was mm-hmm. there have been numerous studies on people who pra- on people who practice BDSM and one of them revealed that BDSM practitioners had lower levels of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, psychological sadism, psychological masochism, borderline pathology and paranoia. Mm-hmm. I was very fascinated to come across this. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the acceptance of what we are ashamed of. Um, the community in itself and the culture of BDSM is very consent driven, very accepting of all people, very accepting of boundaries, very encouraging of boundaries, I would say. And there's a lot of safety in that. And when we are able to feel safe, it's a lot easier for us to feel regulated. The other aspect is there are people who I personally used it to help manage my anxiety. When I was feeling really anxious and I was like, this is too intense for me, I would ask for a spanking session or I'd be like, we need to go play or like not in that instant, but I would say like, it's time we need like, or there are people who maybe have a really heavy heart. A lot of people use impact play as a form of cathartic release and they're just like on the bench sobbing, but that's because that's what they were seeking. And you get to determine what you want to achieve in your scenes based off of what you're needing. So it makes sense that people are like, they have a space to process these things that are going on for them while feeling safe, while feeling respected, probably 
maybe for the first time in their life, like this was probably the first time in my life that someone was like, no, I want you to set boundaries. I was like, oh, no, you want me to have boundaries. (laughs) Very, very good point. And someone who wants to respect those Mm -hmm. deeply. I can relate a bit to the managing anxiety theme in a completely different sex, semi-sexual way. And that is that I used to practice orgasmic meditation. Mm -hmm. I was really into it for a while. I don't have any partners in this area. So sadly, I haven't continued. And I would, yes, often when I was anxious, ask somebody if they wanted to Mm -hmm. ohm. And for those who aren't familiar, orgasmic meditation is a partnered clit stroking practice. It's really transformed my life mm. and helped me with my ability to to communicate yeah however it's not it's not bdsm but i'm i'm just um just, okay. i yeah, feel like anything could be bdsm <laughs> this was cool and it was also something that i guess i wasn't surprised about and another study showed that in comparison to non-practitioners bdsm practitioners ex- exhibited higher levels of extroversion conscientiousness openness to experience and subjective well-being yes. oh my god i have so much to say about this Go so when for i first it, girl. got into the bdsm community i had was really struggling with feeling comfortable, feeling sexy or dressing sexy because I was so over people making comments towards me. So I would literally not really realizing it would like put on super baggy sweatpants and super baggy sweatshirt to go out because I didn't want to get hit on or sexually harassed. And like, I couldn't even go to Walmart without somebody being like, damn, look at that ass. And it made me so uncomfortable in my body that I literally was like making myself look unattractive to not draw attention. And I'll never forget the partner I had who I met in the BDSM community. He was like, I want you to wear something sexy. And I like my whole body just like flared up into a panic attack. And I was like, I don't want to wear it. I don't want to do it. And I just started crying because I was just like, I don't want this attention. And he was like, I got you. Don't worry. You're going to be safe. If anybody says anything, I will handle it. And then I started wearing super sexy things again. And I was feeling so fucking fire. The other thing is, is like the BDSM community gave me so much confidence to have a voice like Nobody fucked with me anymore. There was one time some guy said something to me in a coffee shop where he was just like, ooh, damn girl, like in a coffee shop. And I was like, and I was ignoring it. But then he kept doing it. And I was like, look, you're making me really uncomfortable. I would wish, I really want you to stop. And he was just like, sorry. And like left. But like, I would have never been able to do that before. Hmm. I really give a lot of my confidence in my body, in my voice, in my ability to like speak for myself and stand up to things that are making me uncomfortable because I was in the BDSM community because they encourage that so much. So yeah, I think that it does give a lot of confidence and well-being and safety like within yourself you learn to feel safe in yourself because people are encouraging you so much Mm, to set that that is a beautiful thing to share is there anything else christina that you can tell us about the neuroscience of bdsm i happen to know that neuroscience in relationships and communication and sex is of great interest to you so what would you like to tell my listeners Yeah, we talked about it a lot already of how certain forms of play can create 
stimulate certain biological responses, especially brain chemicals being released with the endorphins, the crash that happens. The other thing that it can do is create an incredibly strong bond. So when you are feeling safe enough to have these experiences with someone else, it releases your oxytocin, which increases the bond you have with the partner that you are in a dynamic with. So it's another way to actually strengthen the connection between you and somebody else, because when you are able to fully surrender and then like also stand in your power with this person, there's just something so intoxicating about it. I want to go back to like sub frenzy or dom frenzy in the sense of like when people see this or like are introduced to it and it speaks to them, it can become extremely intoxicating consuming and you're like, I want to go in and I want to do all these things. And that is just like a heightened level of infatuation with this new experience and novelty and all the things that you want to experience. I just want to caution you to take it slow, do your homework, go to BDSM clubs, meet other community members who you can trust. Because if you are going out and you're just playing with whoever, that is dangerous. You don't know what they are capable of, or if they are experienced enough to respect you, or if they are going to cause harm. And a lot of people who have sub frenzy jump into relationship dynamics and then come out worse because it was such a bad experience, because they didn't take their time, because they were just feeling so excited about this. So I just want to really caution people getting into BDSM is the most. I attribute a lot of my life success and happiness to my experience in BDSM, but there are dangers out there that you have to be considerate of. So finding a community of people you can trust to be like, would you refer him to play with? Or can you vouch for him is so important. I had a role where I wouldn't play with somebody unless I saw them play with someone else. That was my role because I don't know you. I don't know how you throw a whip. I don't know if you're going to go beyond my boundaries. So I need to see you play first in order for me to feel comfortable to play. Unless you have a significant amount of vouching and rapport in the community, I would never play with somebody unless I witnessed them play first. That is a wonderful tip. I never thought of that. That's fantastic. That was also a great segue into what I wanted to go just a little deeper into, and that is risks slash things to keep in mind. I know that you wanted to say a few things about this. I'll just start with a a couple things that I came up with. Obviously, there is a lot to learn about safety, I guess, um, something I don't even really need to say, I hope. It's something else that I considered as a potential downside to getting really into BDSM is it can take a bit of work and effort to find people who have similar interests and and preferences. And I mean, you've just proven that by telling your desire and your commitment to going to clubs, to meeting people, to getting referrals. And so this can be something that can be, I think, a bit a bit consuming. I would imagine very worth it to a lot of people. But mm-hmm. I would say in my own life, I'm a busy gal and I probably would not go out and spend all the time and effort. And this is definitely why this isn't a big part of my life right now. I did go on FetLife at one point, very enthusiastic about finding someone to tie me to do Shibari Mm -hmm. with. And it it just took up too much of my time. And so I closed my account. So yeah, something to kind of keep in mind if you're listening to this and getting turned on. 
Yeah. An experience that I had that was really impactful was a friend of mine had a coworker who was in the BDSM community and would go to the local Tampa club. So he and I and his submissive met for dinner one night and he was like, are there things that you want to try out? I was like, I'm willing to try anything. He was like, no, you're not. Yeah. And I was like, no, I just, one, I don't know what to ask for because I haven't done this before. Two, I don't think that there's anything I'm not willing to try. He was like, okay, so if I want to cut your finger off, are you going to let me cut your finger off? I was like, well, no, obviously My not. Daughter. And he was like, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Like, there are things that you're not willing to try. And although that sounds extreme, he helped me understand, like, it's better to start slow and be like, I just am interested in trying spanking right now. Or, and it's also okay to go to the club and see people using different toys and then asking them like, hey, I've never experienced being flogged before. Would you be willing to flog me? The other thing to consider is that everything is consent-based. So, and consent doesn't just happen before a scene starts. It also happens during the scene and after the scene. So if at any point you are in the middle of an experience and you're like, I don't like this, tell them, express it, right? There are different ways to communicate. Oftentimes people use the stoplight, like green, yellow, red, meaning yeah, green, that's keep going, mm-hmm. yellow. I personally prefer a number system because that was too broad for me, the the stoplight. I liked a number system. I like to be around a five and a six of in pain intensity. Mm-hmm. If you're getting to a seven, eight, I'm about to start tapping out. If you keep it out of one or two, I'm losing interest and I'm drifting off into my mm-hmm. dream world of mm-hmm. all the things I need to do. <laughs> totally. So like, <laughs> I guess that's with a lot of sexual experiences. Yes. For me, yes. at least I'm like, can we please make this as intense as possible? Mm-hmm. Ooh, something mm-hmm. I love to play with. Mm, I'm having so many yeah. thoughts right now. So the other thing that I would say is really important is um, again, not negotiating during a scene because you're feeling really good and you may want more, but you don't want more maybe after, because a lot of times people will do things and then the next day they regret it. And they're like, they should have known better. And it's like, you also should have known better in my opinion to not do it. Great tip. And there are so many resources out there to help you learn how to do this correctly so that it strengthens your bond with someone rather than Mm-hmm. weakens it. Mm-hmm. We are going to take a very quick commercial break and then we're going to come back and get juicy. We're going to talk about fun ways to get started, setting a scene, having boundaries, and then one of my favorite topics, aftercare. Mm. Nothing shatters your life like a breakup. And the feeling of a broken heart is real. I know that it seems impossible right now, but there is hope and there are ways to heal. I would love to work with you one-on-one to heal your broken heart and put your breakup behind you. My personalized coaching programs are designed to pinpoint what will be most effective in helping you to move forward and make this breakup a part of your past. I believe in you. Message me at breakupspodcast at gmail.com or hit me up on Instagram at breakupspodcast and let's connect about creating a magical plan of action to get this breakup in your rear view mirror. 
Welcome back, everybody. Thank you, Christina, for everything that you have shared. I'm so glad that I have an expert to do this topic with. Let's get into fun ways to get started. It is not necessarily jumping into going to the clubs, jumping in to fall restraints, jumping into mummification. Which yeah. Those kind of blowing my mind. There can be fun <laughs> ways to kind of ease into this, particularly if you have a partner who wants to play with this as well. Mm -hmm. Number one, I would say, just start thinking about it. Maybe allow yourself to fantasize a little bit. Maybe when you're self-pleasuring, see what comes to mind and just start to really get a feel for what you're interested in. Yeah. The other thing I would say is a lot of people are uncomfortable admitting that this is something that they want because it's taboo or they're afraid they're going to be shamed for it or rejected for it. So I would say opening up the conversation softly, like if you're with somebody currently who you don't know if they're into kink, but you're like, hey, I'm into kink and I would be curious to trying it. I think having conversations around like, is there anything kinky that you would like to try mm -hmm. or I am exploring this thing or I saw this thing. What are your thoughts on it? Yep. Like yep. without having, there's easy ways to open up that conversation because not everybody who is into kink is single and is like the next person I'm going to meet is going to be somebody in the BDSM community, which. Oh, you know, I know it girl. Opportunity. <laughs> there is also a, a really great test online that I will drop in the show notes yeah. that you can play with with your partners about how kinky are you. I did it a few months back. It takes a while. It's, it's comprehensive. It's about kink, and it does include lots of BDSM-related practices. So yeah. that's one. And then, Christina, you know about a BDSM quiz that you can take online to get an idea of what you might be inclined to. Mm -hmm. um, I actually have someone who I want to give this this test to. I'm very, very curious about mm -hmm. a couple of things. Okay. So that's another way to play with this with your partner and explore yeah. where this may be going. I think something that is interesting and useful and extremely hot would be to role play or talk dirty during a sexual encounter about what you may be be into and yeah. see kind of where that goes with someone for me it would be more talking dirty about what okay. you may be wanting and that is definitely my jam so yeah yeah talking dirty is really good sometimes it can help put you further into a headspace but sometimes it could pull people out of a headspace so if okay. you're like really sure. in your body and to again but explore that's the whole point is to explore what feels good to you i personally prefer to talk about these things outside of sex so my partner and i have been like what are some things that you enjoy hearing in the bedroom? What are some things that you've heard on porn that you're like, I wish my woman would say that to me, you know, or yeah, like, yeah. They're, yeah. And like, what about sexting? Sexting? I love sexting. Ooh, yes. My I like building goodness. the anticipation. For me, it's all about the anticipation. I could live in a state of anticipation and I think be fine with not, I say that, I think be fine without climaxing, right? That's edging, right? Just like constantly like, getting you riled up and then just never getting you there. But that's my favorite part of the whole process of getting aroused and then climaxing is the buildup of it personally. So that's another form of kink actually is edging. 
Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. Another way to get started or maybe see what you may be interested in, go to a good sex shop and see what you feel drawn to. This can be fun, I think, on your own. It can be very, very fun with a partner. Yeah, head over and see what the options are. Yes, that is a good point for experiencing kink. But if you have any interest in like entering into the community or finding a local sex club or um, BDSM dungeon or maybe local house parties, there are something called munches, which are essentially meetup groups for people in the BDSM community to just hang out and spend time together, talk about what's going on in their experience. It's a good place to get advice and perspective. So munches, which you can, you can find on Fat Life, is really common. Um, I would definitely say do more group things at first and get information and ideas especially if you're single and you're like, I want to try entering into this. If you're with somebody you trust, then yeah, explore. But Mm -hmm. it's really fun to also just kind of like see what other people are doing. You learn so much. And it really helps to when you're getting started and unfamiliar with things. I was in a polyamorous munch when I was in Melbourne and I really, really appreciated seeing a variety of ways that people did their, their relationships. Mm -hmm. That was a very, very valuable thing thing for me. Something else I think would be helpful when you're getting started is play with different types of clothing and costumes and yeah, dress it up. And this would be something that you could do on your own or with a partner. This was an mm-hmm. idea that kind of gave to me. That could be dressing more provocatively. That could be maybe asking your partner what they may like you to wear, going mm-hmm. out and getting some leather yes, <laughs> to leather, wear different latex. things. Yes, that push your comfort a, a little bit. Yeah, or even just like wearing a choker that is a collar that looks similar to a collar, like the mm. O-ring O-ring chokers right now are are all the rage, but that runs really deep in the BDSM community of when somebody's in a serious dynamic, the dominant or master will collar their submissive. I had a collar. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, I felt very special that it had been purchased for me. It was Uh definitely uh, pushed my comfort zone extraordinarily. (laughs) But again, it's all about the trust. And that was very soothing to me also Mm -hmm. in some ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, collar is something very special. Yeah, yeah, it was. Do you have any other tips for getting started either solo or with a partner? I think it might be great for you to speak to getting started solo. I know you have quite a bit with going out and meeting people. A lot of my listeners are single. And I think that the time in between relationships, the time after a breakup is a very ripe time for exploring your sexuality. I think that some Mm -hmm. people may be surprised to hear that, but I really do think this is the time to, yeah, learn what you like, explore different things outside the confinement or the realm of a relationship. And you do not need to wait to have a partner for so many things. That's a really good point. I'm really glad that you said that. So the BDSM isn't necessarily like the quintessential monogamous, like couple-y thing. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's very um, open relationship style, polyamorous, not ethical non-monogamy essentially is extremely, there's a lot of crossover with that yeah. and BDSM. 
The thing to consider that I really appreciate about what you brought up is that the BDSM scene has a lot of crossover to ethical non-monogamy. So that's polyamory, swinging, open relationships, all of the trickle downs of that umbrella. Yeah. So if you are single, that doesn't mean you can't go to a club and play with somebody who might be in a dynamic. Oftentimes those people will play with you with permission if they need permission or just try different things out on you and Mm. try their toys out. People love showing off their toys. Okay. They want to use them. They want to show them off. It's definitely a good feeling for them. So just because you're single doesn't mean you can't explore BDSM within the community. If anything, it's encouraged. Um, Just make sure again, that you have reliable people that you're playing with, that you're doing your homework. I would even suggest doing some research online as to like etiquette. There's etiquette at local dungeons where it's like, you don't hug somebody unless you ask for their permission or their dominance permission. Because Mm -hmm. again, that falls in the confines of consent and them protecting their person that they are in a dynamic with. I had to, I went to a club with my dominant and we had a rule that people had to ask him if they could talk to me. Uh-huh. Oh my God. <laughs> it was so exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's great because that saves you from having to have unpleasant conversations that you don't want to have. Mm-hmm. So in a, in a way it is protected, especially if you're asking for it. Now, if he was asserting that onto you for whatever, just to like assert control of power for power, then that is something that I would potentially challenge personally, but I also consider myself an alpha submissive um, in the sense of like, I don't have a problem speaking back to my dominant if I think they're wrong. That would be a brat, right? I'm very much a brat. brat (laughs) (laughs) I want to say that really I'm a brat with submissive Mm. tendencies. And I was like, no, you, I just don't respect you, of course. Ooh, <laughs> it's kind of like, girl. I wouldn't say that, but I just like in my head, I was like, I'm bratting because you're wrong and I'm right. But anyways, so there is definitely a lot of room for people who are single to play at local clubs and just understand the etiquette. And they're also, all clubs usually have like DMs, which are dungeon masters, which will give you the safety protocols. Or if you're like, hey, this is my first time playing with this person, will you just stay near the scene? Cause I don't know how they play. They will stay there to like, make sure that you're okay. So there's a lot of different levels of protection that come into place to make sure that everybody stays safe and everybody is well and no boundaries are crossed. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you. There is, yes, a wealth of opportunities out there if this is something that is really lighting you up. Go out and get it. Or why we've been having this conversation, actually, I went and looked up uh, BDSM Denver, and there's some pretty interesting things here. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that I'm really in a place where I would explore any of this, but seriously, I mean, it, it was just a quick Google search, and I am just finding event after event and mm-hmm. dun- Denver dungeon dominatrix things mm-hmm. and Shibari communities. Very, very cool. Get yeah. online, everyone. Yeah, get online. Something very important to talk about is the fundamental aspect of aftercare. Mm-hmm. Let's get into this. This is important to me. And I've had experiences um, even recently where it just catapulted the 
the trust and the intimacy that I've Mm -hmm. had with people. So aftercare is the practice of making sure that you basically check in after a scene and it is often scheduled and an opportunity for you to both say how maybe your come down is to reflect on what you liked about the scene to give what we call an orgasmic meditation frames where you Mm -hmm. say there was a moment in the scene where and just kind of say what you were just generally experiencing it's an opportunity for you to be cared and looked after if there was something that perhaps came up for you Mm -hmm. and to continue to grow the trust and to feel looked after after a very vulnerable Mm -hmm. experience it can feel a little lonely after Mm -hmm. you do something so intense to be away from the person it can be a a bit jarring yeah and so let's let's get into this and I also want to say it's not necessarily something that you only do with your partners I had an I had an experience when I was in Auckland where I went to a kink club and I had a wonderful experience being paddled by a couple and she reached out to me the next day to just see how I was and I thought it was extraordinary I think I've mostly had aftercare experiences where it was someone who I really knew. Yeah. And so I was very impressed with that. Yeah. Aftercare is really making sure that you're, like you said, feeling cared for and comforted if you are feeling it and needing it. So my experience with aftercare that I really appreciated with the person I was with at the time is he pre-negotiated aftercare. What do you need for aftercare? Because like you said, things can come up during that. And if you are new to this community or practice, you don't know that you could feel terrible or scared or vulnerable or sad. There's so many things, like you said, that can come up. And to have a plan in place before even beginning the scene, it's a required step. Like how, what do you need to feel cared for after we do this act that could potentially be disruptive or feel really good, whatever you need. So for me, it was like, I wanted really soft blankets. So I would bring in my bag to the dungeon, if we were playing at the dungeon, like a lot of soft blankets. And I would want my partner with me, like rubbing my feet or just like cuddling me or something like that, because I just needed that connection time with him after that scenario. You're making a good point that I failed to mention, which there is immediate aftercare, Mm -hmm. which is important because you are going to be feeling so many things Mm -hmm. and it is very, yeah. And it's really nice to make sure that, you know, the initial come down is, is pleasurable. So yes, there's immediate aftercare and then there's maybe like following day aftercare. Yeah. Yeah, So yeah. yeah, Thank you. Especially depending on when your drop is. So my drop was usually almost like a couple hours later, sometimes the next day. Some people don't have a drop until two, three days later. And it's like, what is the plan you have in place to make sure that you're taking being taken care of? What does the communication look like? What type of comfort food do you need? I would, my dogs were my my aftercare oftentimes, like okay. the prolonged aftercare of just like cuddling with my dogs, just like feeling that sense of connection and comfort. There was one time after a scene where another dominatrix, we got done playing and she just would not stop talking. I was like, I don't want to talk. I don't mm, want to talk. And like, sometimes sure. people want to talk, but I did not want to talk. <laughs> I was not in the headspace for it. So you just have to be able to express what you need. For me, I needed connection most of the time, but there was a couple of times where I was like, I just want to be alone. 
And like, that's also okay. Mm -hmm. And as long as people are checking in on you to make sure that like, you still want to be alone? Yes. Or no, I'm ready for cuddles now. It's like the consistency of consideration of your needs after a scene. There's a lot of variety of things that you can do. It can even be as simple as getting your partner a glass of water, yes. which I just think is so considerate. Yeah. And agreeing upon it as, mm-hmm. as well and asking for what you need. That's perfectly reasonable. And I also want to say this doesn't have to be limited to BDSM. It could be after an intense sexual experience. It could possibly be after your first sexual experience with someone asking Mm -hmm. for what you might need emotionally to continue to feel safe. I really like that you say that because there are so many times that I hear women in, in my own personal experience where I just got done having sex and then the guy just rolls over and like falls asleep or gets on his phone. And I just like feel so abandoned and like hurt. And I'm like, but I shouldn't ask for him to cuddle me, you know? So there's like this whole process of gaslighting myself, but there are those needs that need to be had. Like I enjoy cuddling for at least a couple of minutes. I know you're tired, but that doesn't take much for you to cuddle. And if I need to talk for a couple of minutes, like we can set a timer. If you are like, I don't want to talk, but I want to talk. How can we find a happy medium there? Um, so it's, it's really about the negotiation of that as well. But I think it's really important to have aftercare for sex as well. I agree. It's, this is a really lovely way to look after yourself, look after your partner. And like I said, create a bond deep in the intimacy. Yeah. Mm, So juicy. Christina, what haven't we covered? (laughs) A lot. There's a lot that we (laughs) haven't covered. It's a big world. Yes, I think think we gave enough information. That was a lot. That was a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. A little BDSM 101 for you. And I love when I get to share my experiences on the air. Definitely not someone who who holds back sharing things with my audience. So yeah. thank you to my audience for yeah allowing me to be open and vulnerable and for making me feel safe. Yay. <laughs> and thank you a hundred times for suggesting this. Let's keep our list of episodes going. You are absolutely wonderful co-host. Thank, thank you, you so much. You are, are also a great friend and yes. I appreciate you. I appreciate you and being able to provide this content for the people who need it the most, because this stuff needs to be talked about more and more. And the more we normalize it, the easier it gets to just really live in our truth and our authentic sovereign selves. So I just want to give you a bunch of kudos for the work that you're doing. And thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And with that, if you are struggling right now, I am sending you so much strength for the week ahead. And I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Breakups, Broken Hearts, and Moving On with Janice Formichella. I sincerely hope that you found today's episode inspirational or useful. I would love to support you on your healing journey. All you have to do is send me a message on Instagram at breakupspodcast or email me at breakupspodcast at gmail.com and I will be in touch to get you started. Remember... If you are struggling with a broken heart, your feelings are temporary. I am sending you so much love and luck for the week ahead. You've got this.